What were you like a little kid in Indiana? What was I like as a little kid? Uh, well, I mean, we uh, had a family of six. Uh, we lived in a very modest uh, home. My father was an auto worker. My mom stayed at home with us. Uh, I was the youngest of four. And so uh, we had a very quiet, uh, quiet upbringing and uh, sort of a rural community and just uh, was uh, encouraged to do well in school. And really, you know, we were probably we were probably poor, but I never knew it. And uh, we had everything that we needed. And, you know, whatever, you know, whatever problems we had were usually, you know, largely kept away from us. And, uh, you know, learned, learned as I got older how, you know, hard my dad worked and how, uh, you know, all that he went through to take care of us. Yeah, tell me about your dad. Uh, big Archie Wilson was uh, uh, came from Crossville, Tennessee, uh, from extreme poverty and uh, came, uh, came north after he uh, fought in World War II and uh, moved to Indiana as... Uh, the auto industry expanded. There were two plants in Anderson, Indiana, where we lived, and he got a job. And how old was he? Do you know? Uh, he was uh, he was probably I think maybe twenty eight or so when he came to Indiana in nineteen fifty two and got a job at Guide Lamp. And, Good memory. Uh, he was uh, started in uh, you know the lowest level of uh, of the plant, and uh, you know, they made headlights for cars, and he. Uh, uh, worked there for 38 years, and uh, when the day he retired was the first time I had ever gone to the plant. No kidding. And they actually shut the whole plant down for like the afternoon for a big party. Oh, no kidding. For him. For him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So 38 years. Yeah. So what was your mom like? My mom was actually from Ohio, uh, and she was a uh, four foot nine firecracker, and uh, she was uh, extremely uh, independent, uh, opinionated woman. And she came from a very, you know, extremely difficult background. And uh, you know, like my dad, not only from a from a you know materialistic standpoint, very very poor upbringing, but she uh, weathered a lot of abuse as a child and as a young person. And, you know, one of the things that I always am quick to say about my mom was that, you know, she came out of that environment, got herself out of that environment, and then did not pass that along to her family. So, you know, whatever challenges she faced as a young person, she put a stop to it. And so that did not continue on, um, you know, down the family line from her anyway, but some of her family and some of her siblings, children, sort of continued that cycle. So to her credit, she wanted a better life and got one. Nice. So they were married for how long? So they were married, uh, I would say that would have been 58 years before my dad passed away in 2010. 2010. So you're in Indiana. You go to school. I'm assuming baseball, football fan. Grew up a big basketball fan. Oh, baseball whoops, fan. I was way off. No, no, yeah, <laughs> no, baseball as well. Grew yeah. up a big sports fan in, uh, in Indiana. And, uh, Did you play? Uh, played I you know, played through youth sports and some in high school. Then got into broadcasting and, and stopped playing. But uh, you know, always played recreationally after that. But uh, we were big uh, fans of Indiana University basketball. Yeah, and, I can uh, imagine. Also, Bobby Knight. Yeah, yeah, Bob Knight and... Uh, 
Uh, also, the Cincinnati Reds. It's big oh, Reds okay. country where I grew up. Very cool. So you got out of school, and then you went right into broadcasting? Actually got into to broadcasting when I was in high school. Because, oh, in high school. Uh, wow. We were, we were very fortunate. Where I lived in, in my, my high school was uh, in Pendleton, Indiana, and we had a radio station uh, as part of the high school, and it was run by students. And at the, at the time, it was very cutting edge. There was only a couple of, there were only a couple of high schools in the state that had that. And so, you know, my, my school happened to be one of them, and I got involved as a freshman, and Got opportunities to do all kinds of things, whether it was uh, not just sports, but, you know, being a DJ and doing news nice. and public affairs programs and Very things cool. like that. So it was actual on-the-air broadcast station. It's still on to this day uh, called WEEM. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, I got started in that as a freshman, started doing sports, and did that all through high school. So just the, the high school sports, or did you, like, cover, like, what was going on in the colleges? <laughs> Well, it was uh, as far as the the live sports coverage. It was our high school team, just your high school yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Were you guys any good? Yeah, we had some good years uh, yeah. when I was coming through there. A lot of my friends, and so that made it kind of fun to yeah. you know, broadcast football games and basketball games. When uh, so you're like, hey, I kind of like this stuff. Maybe I could keep going with this. Started to have a little bit of a uh, you know proclivity for it. Yeah. I had an instructor, a teacher that was uh, you know, took great interest in me and helped me and. Uh, sort of encouraged me along, and then I ended up at Indiana State University. And a lot of our students from from my high school that were involved in in radio and broadcasting sort of filtered to Indiana State because uh, I sort of had a good relationship with with the teacher, and uh, a lot of us ended up there. Nice. So you kept working while you're in college, or uh, I did work at the college uh, for the radio station, yeah. uh, the student-run radio station, and so just you know, kind of it was just kind of a continuation of what I'd done done in high school, and lots of great opportunities and uh, fun times, and sort of prepared me for what what I wanted to do when so, I got out. So then, you were doing that, and then you met Wendy, your wife. How how did that all come about? Well, I had taken a job uh, down in Columbus, Georgia. As a minor league baseball announcer, it was my first job, first time I moved away from home. This was uh, all the way back in 1991, so for young people, that's ancient history now, but doesn't seem that long ago to me. But I took a job, moved down there as an intern, and was uh, working, you know, for the baseball team. And uh, we had a a lady that owned her own PR firm or advertising agency that was working with our team doing some of our advertising and uh, graphic design and things like that. And, and my future wife, Wendy, How was, old were you? Uh, I was probably you know, uh, 25 or 26 at that time. And, uh, she was working for this lady at I the, see. at the boutique ad agency. And so, uh, the lady who owned it, her name was Jackie and my boss, a guy by the name of John Dietrich, they colluded, and decided to introduce us one day at the ballpark. And I had actually been cleaning the press box that day. And I was, uh, I remember I was, you know, wearing a, a Duke University t-shirt, ratty t-shirt. I was, had been cleaning. I was dirty and sweaty. And they, I come walking into the office and they had Wendy ready for this big introduction. And so <laughs> as she tells it, uh, we were introduced, and she had some sort of ring on her finger that she 
uh, carefully turned around to make it look like it was a wedding. Ah. So to dissuade me from any ideas. You don't get any ideas. Yeah. yeah. And so then later that evening, uh, I was talking to my boss on the phone, and then he called me up. He said, hey, what did you think of that uh, Wendy girl? And I said, well, I thought she was really nice, but I think she's married. So, I mean, she actually fooled me with that ruse. And he said, no, 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 she's single. And so he encouraged me to continue on if I was interested. So... So anyway, we we started uh, started dating and hit it off. So how long were you guys dating before you got married? Maybe a little over a year or so. We got married in 1992. And this is in Indiana? This was in Georgia. In Georgia. Yeah. I gotcha. So you're in Georgia, and what happened next? You got married, and you were there for how long? Stayed there for a few years, and then got a couple other jobs, moved, uh, moved around, lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and Memphis, Tennessee for a while, and then... Uh, moved back to Indiana for a while and uh, actually ended up back in Columbus before moving here to Ohio. So it's been a circuitous path, yeah. and that's not unusual in, in my line of work and in sports. But uh, once we got here to Ohio in 2002, we've been we've been here in Sprint Falls. So 2002, so then you started having kids when? Our oldest, uh, Grace Wilson, the Chagrin Falls volleyball legend, was uh, born in 1996. Shout out. She was born in 1996. So you got three kids, Grace, Grant, and Greg. I'm no calculus teacher, but I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know. There's no story behind that. Uh, oh, really? Uh, and we actually, uh, Wendy had said if we had a girl, which uh, when we had Grace, we never found out uh, what the sex of the Right. baby was going to be we were surprised with everyone else oh that's cool and so she had said before that she was going to go with either rose or grace uh-huh. and so somehow she decided on grace and there was really no family connection or or reason why we why we did that yeah. but uh, just we thought it was a pretty name and so, so grace uh went to school all the in chagrin the whole way uh first grade on yeah first grade on yeah. and did you do broadcasting for her games uh, only one time yeah. I broadcast uh, one of her volleyball games when she was a junior. I was working for Time Warner Cable at that time oh, cool. during high school sports. And we, we broadcast a uh, volleyball tournament game that Sugren uh, played and Grace was in it. When she's like on the bench where you like commentating, like, hey, we should get her back. <laughs> I played it very cool. My uh, my partner who I was doing the game with, uh, Patrick Pearson, who a great guy, and he kept dropping all kinds of uh, hints and references to the fact that Grace might be on the court or oh, yeah. you know, I might be interested in that play or <laughs> but I played it very cool I didn't, I didn't I didn't go overboard so then you're um so Grace is but what what year was she born 96 96 born and then Grant was born when uh, 1999 on my birthday so he's born on your birthday and he didn't like volleyball he was not interested in volleyball. No interest. Was he sportsy or? No, he he really wasn't. He he did not uh, grow up to be a, a sports guy, and he uh, and that was fine. I never never had a thing to say about that. He was very into lots of different you know interests, uh, but particularly music and art. This is well known now. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, he played he just played some some sports when he was very young and in rec league around here or whatnot. But we quickly saw that it just wasn't his No thing. interest. So then little Greg, he was 
Four. He's how old is he? Twelve. So he is twelve. Yeah. So he any sports interests? Yeah, he, he likes lots of sports. He yeah. tends along with me a lot to games and uh, things like that. And uh, you know whether he continues on uh, be his, his choice. But yeah. he has some interest in uh, some different in, in different uh, things that I like, and we, we'll listen to ball games together and whatnot. So. Yeah. So there is some. Um, so you're kind of you're setting the. This is a um, little bit of history. There was about was 2016. You had to go. Your mom was sick, right? So you had to go to Indiana, and you spent time with your mom. So your whole family went down there. Well, she, uh, li- they, uh, my my brothers and sisters, and and my mom and dad never moved. From Indiana, so, so they lived there their whole lives, and so it was uh, it was late in 2016. My mom uh, was uh, in her 80s, and she uh, actually was living with my sisters, and fell. She had a fall, and that really uh, had a had a profoundly negative effect. She was starting to suffer from Alzheimer's. Um, she was really having some health issues, and as oftentimes you'll read about a fall sort of just spirals everything. And so she really went downhill very quickly and passed away in early December of that year. So So you were there the whole time? Well, I had come, I had gone to see her a couple of times. I was not there when she actually passed away, but uh, that was, uh, you know, very, very sad. And uh, she was, uh, you know, she had a, she like my dad lived, you know, well into their eighties. So they had a, they had a good long life. And uh, the, the end was very difficult because of some of the, some of the health issues they were facing. So this is where you were down in Indiana and then you buried your mom. Right. And then hell hit. Right. The next week you had to bury your boy. Correct. How do you wake up in the morning (laughs) from that? Well, it was, uh, it was, it was surreal. And and to this day, I, I still sort of replay that whole, sequence of events, you know, in my mind, uh, I really don't have an answer for, for that, except, uh, you, you know, we, we came home, we, we, it was, it was an odd situation because we had a very negative event happen with the passing of, of my mom. And so we went through that process of the funeral and the burial. And, um, that, that was, what day was that? I, the twenty, yeah, the the date, the date escapes me. Mm. It was, um, yeah, it was somewhere around the twentieth, nineteenth or twentieth. Uh, we of December of December of that year, and so we we had a a great time of fellowship with with my family after the funeral, and then uh, parted ways and drove came, home. Came drove home, and we had a wonderful day together. It was, it was our whole family and we took our time coming back and made some stops along the way and, and just had a, a nice uh, day of, you know, family togetherness. And uh, in fact, when when we got back that night, we actually had car trouble and the car uh, stalled on uh, 271 almost when we got home. So it was a, it was, it was a, a difficult into the day, but none of us got bent out of shape over it. It all worked out. We got home. Everything was cool. And we always talk about that day being, uh, we have a great memory of that day. 
And so that was that was probably somewhere on a Monday or Tuesday, and then uh, Friday of that week was when the accident happened. You guys got a knock on the door. If you could somehow put it so we could understand what hell really looks like. Well, the you know the night you know began innocently enough with him going on an outing, which was no different than any other any other time, just n- normal course of events. And we spent the evening at home with uh, Greg, our youngest. Grace was uh, off with some of her friends uh, for a sleepover at one of her teammates' house. And so we did our normal thing and went to bed about 10 o'clock. And uh, it was about 10.30 or so when we heard the knock at the door. And I looked out the window and it was a police cruiser was there. And, you know, when, when you hear a knock late at night and you look out and there's a couple of policemen at your door, that's when you realize probably it's not going to be pleasant news. And so... The, you know, the officers came in and they were extremely kind and very gracious and tried to help as much as they possibly could. But they shared the news uh, that uh, Grant had died in 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 an auto accident. They had some different uh, numbers that I needed to call and so I could find out more information or whatever. But uh, obviously, uh, it was mind-numbing, and I was just sort of looking at them. And there I was, standing in my pajamas and wondering how this, you know, how did you how could, could this be? So mind-numbing, like you couldn't process? Well, I was just sort of trying to take it all in. Uh, you know, obviously, Wendy was very upset, and, you know, all hell was breaking loose, Um but the amazing thing about that whole uh, that whole sequence when the police were at our house and the initial bad news was being delivered was that uh, Greg never woke up. And so he was asleep in his bed at the time, probably nine years old. And I look back on that and think how thankful I am that he somehow slept through that entire episode. And uh, so we just kind of try to put ourselves together, try to compose ourselves as much as possible. And I started making some phone calls and started trying to get, uh, you know, our, our bearings a little bit to find out what was going on. And it was just confusion and it was uh, fear and just, you know, an incredible sense of loss and dread and it was, uh, you know, obviously, uh, as you said, it's very difficult for anybody to understand who hasn't gone through that before. But, uh, you know, it's something that every parent fears. And, you know, fortunately, few have to ever experience that fear. Greg wakes up the next day. How do you how do you talk to Greg? Well, we stayed up. Uh, that previous night till about uh, two or three in the morning and the officer stayed. Uh, one of them actually went and retrieved Grace from where she was, brought her home. And I thought that was very, very nice. Uh, some friends came over to help us. Um, 
uh, called some of my family. And so all this was still just sort of swirling around. And uh, finally, it got to be so late that, uh, you know, everybody left. And it was just Wendy and I. And we looked at each other and, and said, what? What do we do now? And we just went back to bed. You know, it's three in the morning. And as odd as it seems to me now, we walked back upstairs and went back to bed and sort of had, you know, a few fitful hours of sleep. And as I lay there, I wondered what I was going to do the next day with Greg. Uh, Grace obviously knew. And uh, I really wasn't sure what to do. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, probably 7 a.m. the next day, he got up. He and Grant shared a room. And so he walks out of his room, and I, I was up, and he looks at me and says, where's Grant? And so I said, well, let's let's go sit down. And I had determined that I just would tell him, tell him straight out. And I did. And so that was the absolute single hardest sentence that I have ever had to utter to tell a little boy that his brother was gone. And so I obviously was extremely, uh, had a lot of anxiety about how he would react. And so he had a, he, when he heard the news, he had a terrible look on his face of just, he was crushed. Uh, but then he quickly regrouped. And uh, by that time, Wendy had come into the room and he looked at us and he said, we're going to get through this together. Nine years old. Yeah. So that, uh, that told me a lot about him. The days, did they seem shorter, longer? It became a blur, and we just had to, you know, at that point, you know, everyone was trying to help. Everyone wanted to, you know, offer comfort, offer support, which was vital and needed and welcomed. And so we just, uh, we just sort of took it hour by hour at that point. And, you know, one of the things that we did was, uh, uh, which I felt was, uh, it certainly helped me a lot was, uh, we, we went over to the high school where a lot of the kids had gathered. And so, uh, they were all there in the library of the high school and, I had a chance to sort of talk to all. This is the next day. This was, uh, yeah, it was. It was probably, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was the next day or the the day after. Of course, it was all near Christmas, so uh, we were, uh, you know, we had a chance to sort of interact with some of the kids and talk to them, and they were all, you know, obviously very upset as as we were, and we just sort of shared that a uh, little bit of time together. And I thought it was good for them to see us and for us to see them. 
how um how long um you guys had the funeral a few days later yeah the funeral i think took place on wednesday of the next week and uh, we had to uh sort of you know it's an interesting interesting thing in our culture where you if you contrast weddings and funerals where if someone gets married, you plan it for a year. You plan out every detail. You have a year to think about it. You know, you know, have so much time to consider all the details for the big day, you know. And it's also positive and joyous, you know. But you can be confronted with the absolute worst possible scenario of someone passing away unexpectedly. And during that time of shock and grief, you're confronted with having to try to plan a funeral and a burial and all of the details that go with it. You just did that a week ago with your mom. And we had just done it. Right. Right. So I just sort of powered through it and... We had to figure out what we were going to do and somehow got through it. And, you know, fortunately, our, you know, the church uh, was, was very helpful and we had uh, a lot of support on that end. And my family had obviously arrived and, and they were helping as well. So it was a team effort, but, you know, what a thing to have to do in that situation. But I looked at it as who... Who else but me to do it? And you you gave the eulogy. I did. What? How did you get the courage <clears throat> to do that, Dave? Well, I, I sat there and thought, well, I, you know, again, who who better to talk about Grant than his family? And I wasn't about to just turn it over to someone who didn't really know him all that well and give him a set of dates and a few anecdotes and sit there in the audience. So I felt that that was my duty to stand up there and face the music, if you will, and give him the proper respect that he, he deserved. So the days, the, the food stops coming, a couple of weeks go by, three weeks go by, a month goes by. What what changes? Well, I think we you know to this to this day nothing has really changed. I feel like uh you know, even though you know Time has gone by. It's the same feeling of, you know, I haven't talked to Grant in a while. And, you know, his absence is always there. We always, we always feel like we're a family of five, but there's just four here, you know. But I think uh, in the aftermath of everything and when, like you said, Naturally, uh, people, 
start to move move on and move in, back into their daily routines. And it's not that they didn't care anymore. And so what what uh, transpired and and what everyone did was was wonderful and appreciated. And I didn't you know I didn't ha- expect that to continue on, you know, endlessly into the future. And so we just tried to reassess, uh, you know, what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And uh, we obviously had a duty to, you know, our, our other two children to keep moving forward. And so that's what we tried to do. And I, I think we've been able to do that. But this uh, notion that you get over it or move on. You know, move on is a uh, it's a cop out. You know, it's something that it's a term that's thrown around a lot, but it it's not really accurate. I don't think it describes someone in our situation. And you know, we're, uh, I don't hold any illusion. We're not the only ones that have gone through a, a tragedy, but I think the idea of moving on is is probably misunderstood a lot. You know, we continued on to, we continued to move on with our lives, but not in the sense that somehow everything that happened is now okay. What's, what's different between you and Greg and you and Grace and you and Wendy? What, what do you think is different? I don't think anything is different necessarily. I I think, uh, first of all, you know, we were a close knit family uh, to begin with. So our, you know, interpersonal relationships were, were built on a strong foundation from the start. So we, um, you know, my kids never fought. You know, that was one thing when, when we started a family, I had made the decision just based on my own, you know, idea of what a, what a good parent is supposed to be we're not going to have this. We're not going to have uh, this constant, you know, fighting. And that's, you know, popular, you know, popular opinion would be, well, you know, kids just fight all the time. You know, brothers and sisters fight like dogs are. You can't, you know, we can't leave our two boys in the room by themselves. You know, I've heard it all and we've seen it all. And when uh, Grace and Grant came along, I had uh, set them down as youngsters to say, that's we're on the same team here. You know, it's tough enough out there. We're not going to fight with each other. And they were the greatest set of brother, sister you could possibly want. She was great. Big sister. They had tremendous bond. They weren't twins, but they were practically like twins. And so, you know, you know, this obviously took a great toll on, on grace, but she's handled it tremendously. And likewise, Grant was a absolute stellar older brother for Greg. So, you know, taking him out of the equation was is was and is a you know tremendous void, just a, a tremendous loss. But it just uh, left, you know, the bonds that already existed and those became a little bit stronger. Not really, you know, almost not um, not not because of the accident itself, 
it's because they were already there and we had to do we we had to get closer we we were the four people who could understand the most what this loss was as no parent should have to bury their child so you and Wendy got closer stronger you already had a good bond a good foundation and she's mentioned in the past that you know my words now but in the suffering there's a little piece of good that you guys were able to uh, I agree with that uh, we uh, I'm, I'm fortunate uh, to have married way out of my league absolutely no question about it and you know you know, I, I guess when this you know happened, we had been already married twenty four years, something like that. And you know, again, you look at something like this, uh, an incident that takes place. You have two choices. You're you're confronted with two choices. You know, are you going to crumble under this pressure and become a lesser person? Are you going to compromise what you know is right? Are you going to let your values come crashing down? Are you going to let others down in the name of being depressed or being hurt? Or are you going to rise to the occasion, fulfill your duties, uh, continue on in the role that that you have taken on in your life, which is a sacred role of a husband or a father, and help others, help bring them along with you. You know, it's a pretty clear choice. And I'm not saying it's an easy one. But in many similar situations, you, you know, hear or read about families disintegrating or marriages disintegrating. And there's no question it's a you know a devastating idea that you might that you've lost a child or that someone has grown ill and and died or any uh, a soldier being killed you know what whatever the, the the tragedy it's all it's all the same same feelings to deal with. And so some people let that in some sort of insidious way break up what wasn't damaged you know our marriage wasn't in that car you know our our relationship with our other kids didn't go away so you know why make us a bad situation worse you know why you know why put the other two kids who've lost a, a brother now put them in a situation where they see their mom and dad failing. So that's kind of the way I looked at it. You, know, you have to sort of dig down deep and say, what kind of person am I going to be? And is this going to be the end of me or is it going to show, you know, what I've truly got, you know, what, what example do I want to set for, you know, the other two kids, 
and for anyone else who's looking in, you know, you know, obviously, <clears throat> you know, for better or worse, if you're in a position where you've had some sort of negative event, people want to see how you're going to react. You become, you know, not, not a public person, but people know what happened and they are interested and, and naturally, I think, curious as to how you're going to deal with it. Because they want to, I think, secretly or at least inwardly, they think, I wonder how I would, well, I wonder how I would do, do in that situation. So I felt I wanted to be some sort of a positive role model rather than somebody saying, man, that, that guy went down the tubes when his son died. And you've been strong for Wendy, obviously. And she's obviously helped you out, too. So there's that. You take care of each other. And uh, Grace has moved out. So that's probably a little tough for both of you that she's gone. Uh, yes, it, it was uh, yeah, difficult for, for that, for us to you know see her move on. But I, I feel it is a, a tribute just to her character. You know, she was uh, she was playing college volleyball at the time, and she, you know, powered through that, and she had another year to play after the the accident, and did well. And she's pursuing her dreams and her, you know, ambitions, and that has taken her out of state for now. And she's uh, doing great. You know, she's a great kid. She was a great, uh, uh, like I said, a great influence on Grant. Great influence on our family. I couldn't be prouder of her. And so, you know, I think we've, you know, you raise kids, you know, hoping they'll become good adults, you know, great adults and uh, accomplish things. So in, in this case, you know, she's pursuing that and that's exactly what she should be doing. So, you know, yes, we certainly miss her, but with uh, technology, we FaceTime a lot and we, we, we make trips back and forth, but I couldn't be prouder of her. She's handled herself uh, so well in the face of so much adversity that, you know, I, I draw inspiration from her myself. Little Greg now 12 years old is he's going into junior high, high school or something. Yeah, seventh grade. So he's got a couple of big shoes to fill. He's obviously his dad, his brother, how is he going to be in your mind? I think he's going to be wonderful. And, you know, he is, uh, you know, kids are resilient. You know, I think, I think kids obviously process things different than we do. Uh, this happened to him at a very young age. And, you know, I think it's certainly going to have an impact. How, what impact that's going to be long term, I don't know. But I think it'll be, you know, I think it'll come out in a positive way. Uh, he had a great influence from Grant, and I think you see that to this day. They're very similar. They're they have a lot of, a lot of similar characteristics, and I think that's a great tribute to what Grant left behind. I said it at the at the funeral that uh, you know Grant was involved in sculpture. He he loved sculpturing at uh, at uh, his art classes at school, and his greatest sculpture was his younger brother. He he formed him in many ways. So I think, you know, he's a, he's a wonderful kid and, 
you know, just a, a just a continuation of what what Grant was. And I think he, you know, in some way, and he may not even you know realize this, but I you know I think he uh, wants to continue that on in some way. I think he wants to to be the kind of person that we knew Grant was. And so he's carrying that standard on. And I'm very proud of him too. And, you know, again, it's, again, it's that, it's that crossroad where you have, well, am I going to go this way? or Am I going to go that way? And I think he has uh, decided that, you know, let's take the high road. You know, a lot of people will ask me what, you know, what, what advice would you give to someone who's, who's lost someone or someone that's in your situation, having endured a tragedy. And unfortunately, I don't really have much. I don't really have much advice for those people because once you're in it, once you're in that frying pan, it's hot and it's not going to cool off. And uh, you can't undo what's already done. Can't undo what's already been said. Can't rewrite history, you know, so, you know, when that when that car wreck happened, whatever was on the record is on the record. You know, fortunately, we had told Grant we loved him. We'd we'd hugged him. We had done it all. You know, there was no no doubt where he stood with us and where we stood with him. Thank God. But we didn't do it enough. And we we did what every family does. We'd get into fights about little stupid things that don't matter, right? But not to the point where we, he didn't know he was loved. So once once it happens, you can't go back. So my advice to the people who've had a tragedy like that. It's just kind of what we've talked about before. Do your best. Do your best to keep going. Do your best to be a good person. Make from from this point on, do better. Do better for your family. Keep going. But the real advice is for the people who haven't had it happen. If your family's intact, if you haven't been touched by a tragedy, if everyone's whole and happy and healthy. Don't waste another minute. Tell them all you love them. You know, do something fun. Put your arms around them. Stop stop what you're worrying about and go take your kids somewhere and have some fun. You know, don't waste a day. You know, I had a chance to talk to the high school class at their graduation. You know, one of the things I said was invest in people, you know. Don't waste a day and not tell somebody that is important to you that you love them, that you appreciate them. Thank someone. You know, don't wait. Don't wait till, you know, don't wait till there's a funeral and then you talk about what a great guy this this guy was. Or then it's too late. You know, get on the record now what you want to have on the record. That's my advice.
Thanks, Dave, for coming in. Thanks for having me.